0: And you could probably hear from my voice why we're doing a rewind today, so this is going to be a very brief intro. I've picked up some kind of kid crud. Uh, Both my grandkids were sick last week uh, with it, and uh, now my wife and I have it. And I feel not great, but I'm not in any bad shape or anything, but as you can hear, my voice is just hammered. As a podcaster, my voice is how I make my living. I have to protect my voice, so uh expect rewind tomorrow as well and i'm hoping to be able to be back at it on wednesday because we do have an interview scheduled and that's a lot easier for me to do because i only have to hold one side of the conversation instead of the whole thing anyway we are again uh rewinding back to february the 13th 2018 the original episode was episode 2162 can anyone be an entrepreneur it depends all right, so let's get into this topic, right, guys? This is uh, Can Anyone Be an Entrepreneur? And, and my title of it is actually episode 2162, Can Anyone Be an Entrepreneur? It Depends. And like I said before, I recently got this question. I realized it once this was a show topic, not a show segment. It's a complex question, and unlike most such questions, the answer is it depends. Let's look at some seemingly simple questions on the topic to start peeling the onion, as it were. How about this? Is being an entrepreneur hard? Well, it also depends on many things like, how large do you want your business to be? What experience do you have? How gifted are you? Is this a side hustle or a full-time business? Now, let's just start to paint a picture for you. The answer to, can anyone be an entrepreneur, is a definite yes with a lot of caveats. Let's answer a similar question to see how this works. How about this question? Can anyone be a basketball player? The answer is clearly yes, isn't it? There's even wheelchair basketball leagues. I would say if you can move and use your arms, you can be a basketball player. But can anyone be an NBA basketball player? Can anybody be a basketball player like Michael Jordan or LeBron James? Well, that's the extreme right. So how about this? Can anybody be good enough to play college ball? Can anyone be and everyone be good enough to make the high school basketball team? We can easily answer those with no, 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 and no. There's only so many spots at that type of a level, and talent decides who gets them. But anyone can get some buddies together and start an after-work league. If you play basketball, you're a basketball player, right? With entrepreneurship, there are even more opportunities. There are niches upon niches within niches. So the question isn't, can you be an entrepreneur? Rather, there's questions you must answer to determine your path. And before we go into this, I'd like to kind of talk about how some people that teach entrepreneurship don't acknowledge this and how wrong that is. So let's go back to our basketball analogy. Let's say you walked into a little restaurant and you looked and you said, oh, my God, that's LeBron James. And in front of him were two young kids in wheelchairs. And you thought, well, gee, that's nice. Glad he's uh, doing some kind of outreach. And he even thought, I'm not going to bother him for an uh, autograph or anything. I just think it's cool he's there with those kids. But all of a sudden, you notice those two little kids are holding on to a piece of paper between the two of them. And it's a paycheck for a couple million dollars for like one month of LeBron James' salary. And he says to them, you know what, kids? If you work really hard, if you really try, and if you apply yourself, you can play in the NBA. And you can make $2 million a month, too. Or $4 million or whatever the hell he makes. Now, I know everybody wants to believe that anybody can achieve any dream that they have. But if you have two wheelchair-bound children that are 10 years old, and you got LeBron James telling them, hey, you can make this kind of money if you apply yourself to play in the NBA, you'd probably think he's a pretty shitty guy, if you're going to be honest about it. And if you knew he was serious, like this wasn't some kind of like thing just to get their heads expanded or something, he was actually telling them this because he wanted them to go try to play in the NBA. And I know there's people out there, well, you should understand that anybody might someday. Let's be honest, right? If he was telling me when I was in high school and I was a 5'8 white kid that couldn't jump and could barely run fast, even though I was an okay football player, I wasn't going to play basketball in high school, let alone college or be in the NBA or be the next LeBron James, Michael Jordan, etc., depending on your generation. So if I'm not going to do it, they're not going to do it. Now, does that mean those two kids can't have some kind of a future in basketball? They might actually be able to make a really good living in basketball. They're probably going to make, you know, never make a million dollars a month or million dollars a month or whatever the hell they pay those guys. But you might find out that those guys actually have a talent for things like teaching, developing plays. Let's look at it another way. Say you uh, saw a very famous musician. I don't know, somebody's big time, somebody worth a couple hundred million dollars. Tell somebody that could sing kind of okay. That, hey, you know, you can be as big as me. Now, that actually could happen, but it probably won't. But if that person actually applies themselves, there's plenty of people that make a good living in music, and most people have never heard of them. They work as background musicians, sometimes they work in recording studios, you know, sometimes they develop songs for other people, sometimes they're just independents that play music at events and, and, and bars and things like that. And some of those people do well. I mean, I've talked to people that are independent musicians, and they hustle and they work their ass off, and they make you know $2,500 a week. And I'm not talking about the whole band. I'm talking about, like, they make that. Like, I'll know, you know one guy who's part of a duo, and in their good time of the year, they make about $2,500 a week a piece. Now, that's, you know... I don't think they quite hit 100000 for the year because they have slow times and whatever. But the, from what I got, they're both making somewhere in the neighborhood between like eighty dollars and $95,000 a year playing music. Now, I'm going to tell you, these guys are never going to be on your radio with a number one song. But they don't even care. They get to do what they love. And are they entrepreneurs? And are they successful? Now, think about that. And start thinking about how that applies to entrepreneurship for you. Let's go back to my quote, this guy, uh, uh, Billy Joe Armstrong from um, Green Day. There's nothing wrong with being a loser. It just depends on how good you are at it. I'll give you an example of a time when I lost a lot, but we were good at it. When I was in uh, structured cabling, this data invoice cabling back in the 90s, we would go out and bid any job that looked like it would be interesting and possibly profitable and worth doing, which means we didn't bid public jobs. Not, I would say we didn't bid public jobs. We didn't b- bid government school jobs, which a lot of companies here in the Dallas Fort Worth area, you know, that was their entire business base. And it was like a low ball bidding war. And so we didn't do it. We just did. We, uh, we did bid some stuff with, with, you know, like government agencies like Fannie Mae and, and stuff like that. But mostly we bid with private business, SeaLand services, Broadcast.com, which later became Yahoo, things like that. Um But I would say that of the bids that I would put in, especially on the first time we bid with a customer we had never done any work for before, we probably didn't get picked, uh, I would say, 8 out of 10 times. We lost, at least at first, 8 out of 10 times. Now, we were really good at losing. And what do I mean by that? There was a lot of business available. And we bid our jobs, where we didn't just think we were going to make a profit. We knew we were going to make a profit, and we knew we were going to make a good profit. And we provided services above and beyond what our competitors did. So of the eight that initially said no, I would ask, can I come see you and talk to you about this before you make your final decision? And about six out of those eight were in purchasing departments or things like that, where they didn't have a lot of discretion, and there was no point to it, so they said no. So again, six out of eight, I lost. Which means when I got told no, about eight times, two times, I would get to go make my follow-up case. And I would sit down and the conversation would go something like this. Well, I would like to go through my competitor's bid, and I don't need to see pricing if you're concerned about that. But I'd like to see if they're providing you everything that I am, because we're not just providing you cable and jacks and testing. For instance, I have right here a list in front of me. This is the project manager the lead technician and the foreman for your job. And here you have their cell phone numbers and their personal email or their their business emails, all of them. They're already assigned to your job. We've already figured out who is the best person in our company to do this job for you, and these guys are really good, which is why we assign them and they're tailor-made for this. You have a Bertrex Bertrex Artronics installation. All three of these guys are qualified not only as installers, but to teach that certification to the people that work for them. Did my competitor provide this to you? And the answer inevitably was no. So if I were to take this away and cut the price, would you be happy about that? Well, no, I want this. Well, this is one reason that we cost more money. And I would go through and I would say, listen, we defined this job. Total number of cables, where they would be run, how they would be suspended, when the job would start. I provided you a Gantt chart, which if you don't know, is basically a schedule that says when we're going to start, when we're going to end. I've already reached out to the general contractor because this is a new install in the building. I already have a relationship with them, and we included that in our proposal. Did you notice that? We did. Did my competitor do that? Was my competitor proactive and reach out to the general contractor to find out if there was anything that would get in the way of our installation? Any days that we might plan on showing up that we would be told we can't come in because something was going on? Because that always happens. Did they do that? No. Okay. So if I remove that and I don't worry about that, and I just when something goes wrong, I just say, I'm sorry, we can't do it that day, then... Is that okay? Well, no, I like that. Okay. Okay, you notice that there's a a budgetary item that's that's preset about $2,500 worth of change orders for small change orders here. And you notice that that is in our final price. So that's what you're going to submit to purchasing. But if we don't end up using those, and I'm going to tell you we probably will, we'll rebate that on the final invoice. Did, Did my competitor do that? No. So... So when when you decide that you know one employee that's a pain in the ass decides, I don't want to sit there, I want to sit over there, and you have to make a change order, you're going to have to go back to your purchasing department and get another approval. So if I take that away, is it okay? Because if I take all these things away, and I go for three or four more things, if I take all this away, I bet you I can beat their price. But this is what we provide. So... I'm actually going to tell you I'm not going to take that away because we don't take jobs without providing all of this. Because that way our customers are always happy and they always come back. And one out of two times, I would flip that customer and I would get that job. And in the end, I still lost seven out of ten times. But once I got a customer, you couldn't blow us out of their building with dynamite. No one could come in and take that business away from it. it was impossible. They could come in there and they could bid 30% lower than us, and we'd still get the job. Because we always delivered, because we always put enough money in the job to deliver. But I lost 7 out of 10 times. In other words, I was good at losing. Now, really think about that how that applies to entrepreneurship, and let's let's look at it this way. I run my business full-time. I've been running it full time. So I'm speaking of the Survival Podcast, the show you're listening to right now. I run it full time. I've been doing that, I guess, eight and a half years ish, because it's a few more months before we hit that 10 year anniversary. And I went 18 months doing it for no money for the first six, and then part time for the next year, and then we went full time, you know, at that January going in. Now, let's say that next month my total billing drops to a, let's say a thousand dollars did I lose? Guys, I lost hard. I'd be digging into savings at that point, and I'd be shitting myself. Because I can't pay my mortgage, let alone the rest of my bills, for $1,000 a month. I I can barely afford to keep the server running that delivers the show for $1,000 a month. But if that's what I was earning, I wouldn't have that problem anymore either, because I'd be able to use cheap $5 a month hosting at that point. Horrors. I mean, really, it would be the end of TSP unless it was some arbitrary thing that would go away and go back to normal after that month. I mean, it could go a couple months in a row if I know it's coming back, if it was some kind of screw-up or something. But if if that became the norm for me, I'm a loser and I've lost badly. I've taken a, a business at that point that I've built over 10 years with thousands and thousands of happy people, and somehow I've ruined it. That's what that means, I've lost. But if you start a business and it makes you $500 a month, Which is half of what I'm a complete loser at. Are you a loser? Well, in some ways, you are. If we're comparing, you know, if we're going, who's got the bigger thing here, right? Okay, I was going to say it, but I didn't. Then, yeah, I mean, okay, I build a lot more than you, and I made a lot more money than you. So if we're competing, you lost. If you look out in whatever business you're in, the average person in that business makes. I don't know, 2500 a month at it, and you're only making $500 compared to the industry average. You're a loser. But what if you only work, I don't know, 5% as hard as all the people making 2500 bucks, and you don't want more than 500 bucks. You wanted to create a business that you could participate in at kind of a hobby-level side hustle, make yourself $500, take 250 a month and go piss it away, and take $250 a month and chunk it on top of whatever you're saving for your retirement. Well, if you're young enough, you just added a million dollars to your retirement. Are you a loser? Well, actually, again, you have lost compared to other things, but you're good at losing. Isn't that interesting? So, with that in mind, let's go through the questions I think you need to ask yourself a as self-examination to, is this a path I want to take? And if so, how do I want to take it? My first question is, do you want to be an entrepreneur? Do you want to be? Now, see, that's, that's the harder question than you might think it is to answer, because a lot of people say, well, of course I do. Do, do you really? If your alternative is you can have a job with good benefits, making $150,000 a year, uh, you get four weeks of vacation a year, um, you get all your typical holidays, uh, you get a 401k plan, you get your health care paid for, and you relatively like you don't love it, but you like it. It's something you can do every day. You work nine to five, and when you go home, nobody bothers you. Do you? If, if that's an option, do you still want to be an entrepreneur? And a lot of you just went, N- maybe I don't. Don't don't count yourself out yet, but at least you're starting to examine the question a little bit differently. Because it's not my job to sit here and razz you up and tell you everybody can do it, right? What I what I said in my notes today is I'm going to discuss a bunch of questions, ideas, and concepts around them. I'm not going to answer them for anyone other than myself, though. I'm not the guy that tells you to stand in front of a mirror and say, I'm great, I'm wonderful, and everybody likes me, which was in a famous uh, Rodney Dangerfield movie from the 80s. I have a link where you can go watch a clip and get a little laugh out of it. But what I'm going to attempt to do is give you a way to examine a path for yourself and determine if it's right for you. And that first question, do you even want to do this? And the best answer to this question, if you're not sure of it, one way or the other, is is okay, and it is, I don't know. I used to struggle with my son all the time when he was, you know, like when he got up to like 12, 13, 14, and there was a situation that he would have to make a decision on. And I'd ask him, well, what do you think you should do? and he he wouldn't not he wouldn't say I should do this or that but he also wouldn't even say I I don't know. He would just sit there blank. Like whatever he said was wrong and I say Matthew's okay to say you don't know. Then we can start to examine what you don't know about it and then maybe we can figure out what you should do because I'm not going to tell you what to do. And, and a lot of people, you know, you don't have someone in your life when you're 12, 15 years old To have that conversation with you, you never even know it's a problem, and you walk around in your life realizing it's not okay to say you don't know. I don't know is one of the most powerful things you can say in the English language as long as the next thing is, well, how do I find out? Because this is one of the things I talk about with positive internal dialogue, positive self-dialogue. It's not I'm wonderful, I'm great, everybody likes me. That's not positive self-dialogue because it's bullshit. Not everybody likes you. You're probably great at some shit and you probably suck at other stuff. You're probably a wonderful person in some ways and flawed in others. God knows I am. And some people probably hate your guts. God knows people hate my guts. So when you try to do a self-dialogue that's bullshit, your internal id knows it's bullshit. So it doesn't work. It actually makes things worse. But a positive self-dialogue is where we replace with I wish I could with how do I. With I'll never figure it out. With how do I figure it out? That's positive self-dialogue. That's actually getting somewhere. That's actionable. So if you don't know, you start saying, well, how can I find out? Well, here's some ways I think you can find out. Here's a question for you. Do you have any specialized knowledge or skills? And you got to be careful with this. Because it's easy to say no when it's not true. So a specialized knowledge or skill is something that there's enough people that don't know it or don't know how to do it, that you could create some kind of service or product that they would pay for, rather than learn how to do it. Now, here's an interesting thing about that. Almost everything anybody knows how to do fits in that category. Some people don't want to do it for themselves because they're lazy. Some people don't want to do it for themselves because of a lack of time. Some people don't want to do it for themselves because even though they could do it, and they know how to do it, and they'd be okay at it, they got other shit they want to do more. There's a million reasons people don't want to do things for themselves. And again, it it goes from everything from slothful laziness to logical realism. I don't have time for this, and even though I'll do it good, they'll do it better, and I can focus on what I'm good at. I make decisions like that all the time. I've got a contractor here building this kitchen for me. There's parts of it I would never attempt myself, and there's parts of it I could do myself and save a significant amount of money. But you know what? I don't have time for that the money I can make doing what I'm good at exceeds the money I would pay in the time I would take for myself or the things that I'm exceptional at on my property like with the ducks heading out the door developing this property this spring so that it goes into incredible vegetative abundance, I'm better off putting it there. So I'm going to tell you it this way. That's the question I to get you thinking, but the reality is you do have specialized knowledge or skills. What are they? And the next question is do you have or are you willing to create the necessary time? People often ask me, Jack, how did how did you do about an hour long daily podcast when you were working full time and you didn't just have a job? You were a s you were a freaking COO of a large company at the same time you were a CMO of another company at the same time you were the president of a third. And a partner in the holding company that owned all three of them. How in the hell could you do a show like this? Because it doesn't take an hour. It doesn't take an hour to do a one-hour podcast. Now, I imagine I systematized it into a way that let me do it faster than just about anybody else in the business. And yes, I did it in my car. But I was still on average getting up between 3.30 and 4.30 in the morning and preparing the show before I left the house, I would get to my office because I had autonomy, it's my damn company. I went in my office and closed the door. People knew to leave me the hell alone. And I'd be in there for about the first 30 to 45 minutes, unless I had a meeting or something to see to. And only about 5 to 10 minutes of that, honest to God, would go to, let's upload, mix, upload, and publish. Because everything else was done. All I did was I had an intro and an exit already set up. I dropped the file in, put the intro and the exit on it, and I rendered it out. FTP'd it to the server, took a link, dropped it into a spot, and hit publish. And then I went on to doing my other shit. And all the way home, that night, I listened to that day's show, not for self-aggrandization, but to learn how to make it better and think about what I wanted to talk about tomorrow. And the next day, I got up again and did it. Now, I'm not saying you have to do that. But I'm saying it won't do it itself. And it will take more time than you think. Do you even have the time? And if you do not, are you willing to create it? And you have to think to yourself, well, what's the reward if I do it? That's how you answer that question. Because you ask most people, are you willing to start getting up every morning three hours earlier than you have to? And work for those three hours? And not get paid for it for the first three months or six months? Their answer is going to be, hell no. If your boss asked you to do that, you wouldn't do it, unless you were terrified of losing your job, you sure won't be happy about it, and you'd probably have your resume on the street the next day. Well, you have to work that hard for yourself. That's just how it is. And there's other ways to create that time. By going full-time, you have all the time you need, but you lose the safe income. You also are pretty motivated to get it done. So you have to balance that question with all the other things that go around it. The next one is, Is there something you are passionate about that you can leverage? Is there something you really love? Something you really care about? Something that you love so much that you can pour everything you have into it and not run out of energy even when you're tired. You'll still come back fighting like Rocky up off the canvas one more time to get punched in the head again. But in the end, you'll be standing bloody and beaten but victorious. Is there something in your life that motivates you that much? And let me tell you what it is for me. People say, well, Jack, obvious for you. It's it's preparedness. No, it's not. My passion is teaching. My passion is teaching. And I figured that out through my years in sales and marketing because the thing I was always happiest when I was doing was presenting. Getting up in front of a room back in the cable days and explaining cable testing to 500 people and not having them fall asleep. I was like, I'm good at this. So at some point you come to a midlife crisis and say, well, do, do I want to go to college, which I said I never needed, and get a teaching certificate and go teach high school for $40,000 a year? No, sorry, I'm not doing that. That's not the kind of teaching I want to do anyway. I don't want to teach people that are forced to learn. I want to teach people that are hungry to learn. I want to teach people in a 100% voluntary relationship where no one has coerced them into anything. That they go out and say, this is someone I can learn from, and I will take what I can from them. And when I don't feel it's valuable anymore, I'll walk away. That's the only way I want to teach. Well, exactly where do you apply for a job like that? I looked for one. I couldn't find it. You know, I mean, it's just, there's just not a lot of those around now, are there? So I created one. But it started with defining what I was passionate about. I was passionate about a lot of other things, too. Not taking shit from people. Well, in this business, I can do that. It might cost me some money, but if I'm happy with the money that still comes in from the people that like me, I don't care. I'm passionate about complete and total anonymity and freedom. My message is centered on freedom. Now, if I couldn't have gotten myself free in that first one to two years, and I was still a slave to a desk, and I got on here and talked about personal freedom, how would you feel about me? Now, there's nothing wrong with it if that's what you want to do. But you shouldn't be out telling people that they can go out and build their own business and build their own lives, and you're sitting chained to a desk. But there has to be consistency. So those are things that I was passionate So what are you passionate about? Because you'll never speak the way you hear me speaking right now if you're not passionate about your subject or passionate about speaking in the first place to people in a way that compels them to do better or helps them do better. You'll never have this type of delivery, and you'll think, well, I can't, but I've seen people. I've seen people. Well, I just, you know, I I could never present like you, and, you know, well, what do you like to do? Well, I'm kind of big into hunting and fishing like you are. Really? What's your favorite part about it? Oh, I guess I'd say hand-loading. What do you love about hand-loading? Oh, it's just so diverse and there's so many things to do and understanding ballistics and sensual density and what just a different powder can do and, you know, fire-forming brass and wildcatting and boom, 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 boom. They're just like, wow, they're just like, a, really? And you don't think you can talk. Oh, no, I, I can't. Holy crap. Do you, you know, sometimes what I feel like is I feel like a doctor with a bottle of pills that can cure cancer. Standing in an oncology ward, no one will take one from me. Because you watch that person switch, and you go, okay, well, you're passionate about that. Go do something with it. What? I don't know. Should I do a podcast on ballistics? I don't know. Do you want to? Don't do shit you don't want to do if you're going to go work for yourself, unless you have to, and we'll get to that next. But maybe you should go into some kind of reloading business. Maybe you can figure out all of the things that keep people from reloading and solve that problem, and that's your product and service. And maybe a weekly 15-minute podcast is a marketing plank of what you do, because anybody can do a -a 15-minute-a-week podcast. And if it's there every week, like Clockwork, published at 9 a.m. on Monday morning, then people will subscribe to you and listen, especially if you're excited about it when you talk about it. Now, if you're sitting here going, you know what, that's a good niche. I'm going to go into that. You better not unless you're passionate about it and then run with it. I don't care. I'm not going to do it. But there's the next step with this. There's a big conflict in the business mentorship world. People that are direct mentors and people that fancy themselves mentors say Mark Cuban types. Mark Cuban crafts all over the follow your passion thing. And I won't reiterate it again, but I'll just tell you that Mark Cuban would not be a billionaire if he didn't follow his passion, which was basketball. Because everything he built at Broadcast.com was so he could listen to college basketball games. So he's full of shit. But he actually makes a valid point when people say, well, I'm really, like when I'm Shark Tank, I'm really passionate about your pro- my product. Well, if your product sucks, that doesn't matter. So do something of value to the market, especially if you want me to invest in it. That's his, and that's valid. So here's what I have to say. If you can't do what you're passionate about right now, are you willing to do something simply to learn and earn? So, for instance, I bet you that not many of you would be passionate about becoming an Uber driver or a Lyft driver or both. It's not something you get real passionate about. But if it gave you freedom and autonomy and extra money to invest and gave you a shitload of people to talk to so that you could understand more how people thought and you were to channel that information and money till you figured out what it is that you want to do, till you defined your passion and the product around it, are you willing to take that step? Because I'll tell you how I was when I was coming up. If if I could walk across the street for 10 bucks more, I'll do it. And more importantly, if I could walk across the street to another company to learn something I don't know, I'm gone. I had no loyalty. And I do know that sounds like a horrible thing. But I was exactly as loyal to the companies I worked for as they were to me. And I'm going to tell you, in sales, especially in technology, that's not very damn loyal. So when I had sucked every bit of knowledge, every contact, every skill set I could get out of a job... I at least started looking for something else. And I think entrepreneurship is kind of the same way. I played around with a lot of stuff as an online entrepreneur. Some of it made me money, some of it didn't. My first website I built was terrible. It was about a book called The Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield. You can look it up if you want to. But it was just, I want to know how to make a website. I'm reading this book right now. I think it's kind of cool. I'll make a website about it. Why? I'll learn how to make websites. It's horrible. It's in red and black. Red text on a black background. Yeah. Uh, If you have an old enough browser, there's MIDI music in the background and a flying freaking Dove GIF. Come on, I built it in 1997, I think. And, you know, over time, I found a company in telecommunications sales. And I built a bunch of websites that sold long distance and cell phones and stuff. And I built that up to making a few thousand bucks. That company came home some hard times and I started to not make that much money anymore as they started to not have proximity to sell for them anymore, even though I got paid on the residuals. And I discovered Google AdSense. And I started put, putting up satellite sites with AdSense on them. I started making thousands of dollars doing that. I wasn't passionate about that. But you know what I was passionate about? Learning how. Learning how. So whatever it is you need to be able to build the business that you are passionate about, Whatever knowledge that is, go learn it. And if you can earn on the way, if you can learn and earn, then you got something. And then you're learning to manage cash flow. You're learning about collections if you have people that actually have to pay you. You're learning about search marketing. You're learning about social media. You don't have to be passionate about the first thing you do. In fact, it will be through trying so hard, even though you'll fail many times that you'll find what you are passionate about. it, And when you combine that momentum and that drive and that newly found knowledge and that aggression, and you finally find the place to channel, because you probably know what you're passionate about or many things that you're passionate about, when you find the, the, the place to channel it, the way to put it all together, well, then you become pretty much unstoppable. You'll go as far as you choose to. Next, what sacrifices are required and are you willing to make them? Trust me. Laying in bed, warm, soft bed next to a warm wife at 3 a.m., and you hear your phone go bzz, 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 because you don't put the chimer on because you don't want to wake her up. And you've been doing it so long that about one minute before it goes off, you open your eyes anyway and think, I wonder how long I've. Getting out of that damn bed is a sacrifice, it's a sacrifice. It absolutely is. There is no way forward without giving something up. Every decision that you make, every action that you take, takes something away from something else. In the, in the laws of physics, every action has an equal and opposite reaction. This applies to everything, not just a rubber band. Not just a shotgun being fired. There's something that your decision to do something prevents you from being able to do because we cannot split time in two and exist in two places at the same time. So does that mean you have to get up really early? Does that mean you have to take a job that's shitty and pays less to learn something you need to learn before you're really ready to do it on your own? Does it mean you have to take a job that's shitty and pays less but has flexible hours so you have time to ramp up your side hustle until you can walk away? Does it mean working part-time for the next 10 years to build up enough money to say, I'm just going to heap that into retirement at the end of 10 years, I'm going to quit, and I'm going to go back to being an employee? All of these things, there's, there is a sacrifice to the other side. And you need to know what they are so you can make an informed decision about whether you really want to do this. Because when I find people fail or get really stressed and even damage their relationships with their families, is when they didn't do that analysis first. Now, I'm not talking about analysis paralysis here. You should be able to sit down and look at what you want to do and figure out it's going to take roughly this much time. Add about 10 to 15% to it, and that's how much time it's really going to take, especially in the beginning. And understand that certain things you'll get obsessed about and have to finish, even though you know you should go to bed. So for the first couple months, it'll probably take double what you think it's going to take. Are you willing to give that time up? And where can you, where can you take it from? Are you going to take it from time you usually spend in bed to sleep? Are you going to take it from time that you usually spend golfing? Or are you going to take it from spending time with your children? The last one, you better really be sure it's the right move. Because I'm all for getting up early, and I'm all for skipping a golf game. I'm all for even skipping a fishing trip, even though it, I don't like it. You start skipping time with your family, I'm not saying not to do it. God knows I did. But be sure you understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. be sure they understand as well. And no, it won't go just completely smooth. When I first started this show, my wife was like, You make good money. Your partners love you. They keep giving you new opportunities. They keep giving you more money. Why are you working so hard at something that pays so little? Why are we giving up all this time with you? I said, because within two years or less, you won't have to anymore. I really believed that. And I was willing to make that sacrifice to get there. And now we have an amazing life. My wife hasn't worked at J-O-B for one year less than me. She's retired, for God's sake. She works for me part-time, I don't know, five hours a week. She takes care of our grandkids she wants to go somewhere, she goes somewhere. You know, if she wants to take a day off, she doesn't even ask me. She just does. As long as you know my, my appointments get set and the few things she does for me and the manual customer entries get done, I don't care when she works or if she works. But that's because I made that sacrifice. Are you willing to? If you're not, there's nothing wrong with it. Or are you willing to make a smaller sacrifice? I've talked about this, but like, there's nothing wrong with just doing a side hustle. What if your passion is reloading? And instead of trying to solve the problem of people being scared or not being sure how to get started or whatever and putting together solutions for that, you just started talking to all your friends and said, I'm a reloader. What do you need in ammo? And you said, you can get anything from me. Here's how much it costs. And you really love reloading. And on weekends, you go into your little reloading shop that you set up, you take your orders, and you do your loads for that week. And you go to your friends, and it's a cash business that's so between you, me, and the fence post, as we say here in Texas. And you just pocket that money. Maybe you don't even put it in a retirement account or a strong, you know whatever. You get a strong box, and you just build up a stash of cash over ten years. There's not a ton of sacrifice there, now is there? You're doing something you love. See, that's that's the point. That what you're doing can be big medium, or tiny. And I've made that decision. When I walked away, what I really walked away from was employees. I don't want to have another employee work for me for the rest of my natural life. There's a bunch of reasons. One is because they're a pain in the ass. If you're an employee, you're a pain in the ass. You will never understand what the person you work for goes through and how much you really cost them until you are the person that has people working for them. So on some levels, being an employee is a pain. And by the way, when I was an employee, I was a pain ass, too. I understand it. You know, I was a relentless prick that put myself before everybody else to advance. So that meant when I got really good at the job you hired me for, where I could do it in my sleep. If you didn't promote me, I left. I went to work for your competition to beat your brains in. That's pretty bad. You know what? I'll do it again, too. I would do it again. I wouldn't change a damn thing. That's the way that it is. Corporate America is not loyal to you. Don't believe that it is. doesn't mean you go out and be bloodthirsty with a mom and business. I never did that to a mom and pa business. In fact, usually I never even came back and took business from them. I did it once when, when I felt like it was done to me. And that is just the way of things. But if you're not willing to make sacrifices in some level, you're not going to be successful. But know what those sacrifices are and figure out how much I'm willing to give up for what reasons. Next, how do you define success in your venture? So let's examine the reloading thing again. So let's say you were that guy that was passionate about reloading. One solution might be to put together a company that sells reloading components, maybe have some drop shipping, maybe you don't even have to have employees, making some instructional videos, selling DVDs or downloads of those and putting pieces and components of them on something like YouTube to get people in the door, have a catalog business, have your 15-minute podcast, and build a company that's basically in the distribution business, distributing product and information. The other way is to actually be reloading ammo for your buddies, which is probably a gray market, if not a black market business. I'm not sure if it's legal for you to do that, but I know I show a shitload of people that do it. What sacrifices do you want to make? And in those sacrifices, how do you define success? If you make $200 a month reloading ammunition, and you love reloading ammunition, and you keep your full-time job, and you're basically content and happy there, do you find that a success? If you make 200 a month doing that, do you consider it a success? Do you make, if you make $100 a month reloading ammo for buddies and buddies of buddies, do you consider that a success? Well, again, let's define what success is. If you start doing that when you're twenty one, you put a hundred dollars a month, and you just take that hundred bucks and, and give it to your financial liar, I mean advisor, and he's good enough to make you ten percent on your money, you get a million dollars added to your your retirement. At a young retirement, by the way plus whatever you're you know, doing what everybody else does, just doing your job and saving your 5 to 10% and doing your 401k if they have a match and all that good stuff. You just added a million dollars to your retirement if you do that your whole life because you really like it. Is that success for you? If it's not, do something else. But you have to figure out in advance, like, what's enough? When I started this, this business... My definition of success, enough money to maybe not really, really comfortably, but walk away from my businesses and do it full time and be able to ramp it up, was to make about $60,000 a year. Which, by the way, was a huge cut in pay. If I would have discussed it with my uh, financial advisor, he would have flipped his lid. Because for him, it would have meant I get less money contributed into the kitty every month. But I didn't discuss it with him because I didn't care. Because I knew that once I had that, I could pay all the bills because Dorothy would still be working. And then I could pour my heart and soul and guts into this business. So my definition of success was within two years, be able to pay my bills and walk away. So if two years into it, if pouring all this time and effort into it, I was making let's say $1,000 a month, it's a failure. And the reason that you do that is so when you can identify, based on my planning, this is a failure, even if other people would think it's successful. Now I have to adjust. I either have to figure out how to change that or adapt to it. And it won't happen if you don't for yourself, and understand this too, it's actually great to say something like this, if you've never made a dime as an entrepreneur, my goal is to get to making at least $100 a month profit, you know, where I'm only working 10 hours a month, which is 10 bucks an hour, which you could get at Walmart as a greeter, within three months, I want to get to where I know I'm going to make at least that. That's pretty small. But if you can do that, then you can do it again. And and the way I look at income goals is, let's say we were going to go from Dallas, Texas, to Los Angeles. It's a long drive. Fort Worth, not far from Dallas. Unless you're really trying to make your job harder, you're going to drive right through Fort Worth. Either the middle of it, the north of it, or the south of it. You're either going to take I-30 you're gonna take the South Loop eight twenty or the North loop eight twenty, you're gonna drive you're gonna look you know, look to your left, look to your right, or look in front of you and see Fort Worth proper, the city. So if you wanna know how to get to LA from Dallas, Fort Worth is on the way, you're gonna go there, so let's go there first, even if we don't know the rest of the way to LA. When we get to Fort Worth, we can figure out what's the next thing in between, you know, Fort Worth and LA. It's probably Weatherford, Texas, a little town. Not that far. I'll go there next. But when people say to me, well, I'm going to make $100,000 a year. That's a great goal. How much have you ever made? Nothing. Let's get 500 bucks of actual profit. And by the way, when you start getting revenue in, you better be taking into account every dollar you spend to do it. It better be in a spreadsheet or write it down on a napkin. I don't give a shit, but you better know at the end of that month yeah, I did $800 in revenue, but I made 100 bucks. Is that good? I don't know. Did you work five hours? It's $20 an hour. Just getting started? It's not bad. Does it create residual income? Is that 100 bucks coming back without the associated expense? And then you can make another 100 bucks. So now you're going to double your hourly wage? And can you do that every month? Well, guess what? If you can do that, you're, you're going to be, within a year, you're done working for somebody else. But if you can't, are you going to continue to be happy making $10 an hour? Is there a way you can change it? You have to be able to judge that. If you can't judge that, you don't know. And it, it amazes me how many people have no idea how they're doing financially. And I don't care if you're an entrepreneur. If you have a job, how do you know how well you did this month? Well, I get my paycheck, and I see what they paid me. And, well, what would you spend? And what would you do to get it? And could you get more doing the same or less elsewhere? You start being entrepreneurial-minded as an employee. Because here's how I look at it. When I was a consultant, contractor, etc., a client. And that client, let's say it was a good client, where like they gave me as much work as I wanted a month. I'm going to you know, work 40, 50, 60 hours for that client. If, 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 they, if I want the work, I've got it. But if they don't pay me well, Well, I'd start looking around at other potential customers and say, is there someone that will pay me more? Is there someone that will pay me twice as much for my time, and I can work half the time and make the same money? I'd do that as quickly as I'd go work the same time and make double the money. Now, I might then, if I'm making, if somebody's willing to pay me double the money to work double the time, make that decision next. And people say, well... You're a consultant, a contractor, whatever, you have that flexibility, the employee doesn't. There is no doubt that as you move up the entrepreneur scale and you move from employee to self-employed to actual entrepreneur business owner, you get more freedom and more flexibility. The problem for the employee is they'll never make the transition and move up that banister if they don't realize they do have a lot of flexibility. If you're good at what you do and you've done it for a while, it's almost inevitable that if you go out and look, you will find a company that will pay you more or give you better terms or allow you to enter into a challenge to improve yourself from a knowledge and skill set that you're never going to get where you are. I have found it was always easier as an employee to get a promotion by going to a new company than beg the one I was in to move me up. Because the one I had assumed I wasn't really going to go anywhere. They assumed I was like everybody else. They assumed that, oh, he he says he wants more. He'll wait. We don't have really a place for him right now. He's not going anywhere. He's a good guy. He's never late for work. You know, he always puts his vacation requests in according to the procedure. He busts his ass. He's one of the best guys we have. He's not going anywhere. Oh, by the way, did I tell you I was going to have to put in my notice? Here's a written notice. I want to walk away clean, and yeah, and and it is because I ran, I feel like I ran out of advancement opportunities here. Do you know what happened to one of those companies? I did that too. We moved to Pennsylvania. We decided to come back down here to Texas, and I started looking for a job again. I, I had I had been through one of my business paths, my side hustle paths, that. Started to make a lot of money, but then the bottom fell out of it, so the money wasn't there anymore. And I needed to get my family established back in Texas. My son was still in school, and I call it, contacted the headhunter that, that got me the job to move up there in the first place. Said, "You interested in placing me?" He said, "Absolutely." He set up some interviews. I came down here, started going on interviews. They asked me for references. They, they, you know, the one company was a pretty good company with a decent opportunity. They called the company that I had worked for before I left. Got the president on the phone and said, is this guy solid and worth hiring? Here's This guy was a solid man, because let me tell you what he did. He gave me a glowing recommendation. He hung up the phone. And then he called me and said flatly, if you're looking for a job, you can have your old job back with full credit for all the time that you already worked here. The guy that took over for you is terrible and I need to get rid of him. Do you want your job back? And I said, "So you're giving me the opportunity to interview for for my, my old job?" He said, "No, I'm offering you. Just just have it. This what a small company, so you always leave clean, but you leave if it's not right. And that is a you see the thing about this is you think well that's just how to get more money working. No, that's how to develop the skill set and the critical thinking that actually makes you successful as an entrepreneur." Because when you're sitting there looking and you say, i got two places I'm bidding. Let's say you're doing construction work. i got two places I'm bidding jobs. Based on the size and my crew, I cannot take both of them. A lot of people will take both of them and bankrupt their company in that industry, by the way. The reason people hate contractors is because they always step over their heads. And then they get screwed. And then they try to bail out of the job and get out as quick as they can. And finish one of them profitable, break even on the other, even lose a lift, and just survive another day. And go get another job they can't handle. But if you've been doing what I'm talking about, you'll say to yourself, which one of these jobs does the following? I'm going to be capable of getting it done in a satisfactory manner to the customer in a good period of time and make a maximum profit for the work we do. And you will also ask yourself, which one of these jobs is likely or most likely to lead to more work? And with the answer to those two questions, you can probably figure out which one to take. And I'm not going to say if they say this one's this and this one's that, then do this. Because it's all subjective. It's always back to it depends. The profit's not much different, but it's a little bit less on this one. But this one's going to get us a lot more repeat business. We're going there. If one has the potential for more repeat business, but the guy seems like an asshole of a client that you don't really want to work for, and the other one's an easy-to-work-for guy that maybe it's going to be more of a referral-based thing. We're going with him. And there's an interesting thing that happens when you start doing that. Start saying, well, you know, I've got a lot of projects going right now. I've got a lot of work, right now, whatever it is. And I- I'm not going to be able to take you on as a client. What do I always tell you? most powerful word in sales and marketing is no. What will usually happen is, well, when could you? When could you take this on? What they just said is, we are desperate for you. We don't want, at this, the minute someone tells you that, what they're saying is, we don't even want to talk to anybody else. Yes, I want this thing done now. But if I have to wait, as long as I don't have to wait too long, as long as it's not going to result in a hole in the roof of my house or losing a big client or you know getting hacked because I don't have my system upgraded or whatever industry you're in, and they tell you that they have said, "You tell us what you want, and we will do it if we can. And you know what most people do? They say, "Well, uh... no, you tell them exactly. You tell them exactly what you want plus 25. With that number being subjective, depending on whether it's time, commitments, referrals, money, whatever. You go to the moon with what you want. And you don't apologize for it. Because you were going to walk away and not take it anyway. And they generally either capitulate or they counteroffer at something that you would have been happy to take. And then you get both under your own terms. That starts with when you work for an employer and he's underpaying you and you've maxed out what you're going to learn, and you've maxed out any challenge you're going to have, you do the same thing with employers. You start looking for something better or something that will teach you something you don't know, something that will move you into a new area of the industry. If you're a coder, but you're working with old you know, coding languages, and you have an opportunity to go somewhere, and you're going to have to struggle a little bit in the beginning and maybe take a little bit of a pay cut, but you're going to learn something that's cutting edge, it's a the future, then you go do that. And... When you go and you start making this this advancement, don't be afraid to tell the employer that's offering you your next position, I don't know that I can do that. I'm going to tell you something. People think when I get in there and work really, really hard, they'll value me more. People value certain things. They value things that are rare, and they value things that they don't think they can have. And when you say, I can do this easily... I can do this better than you can even imagine. And you might be a little more politically correct with the way you say this. But that's your, that's your, that's your attitude. I can do this. I just don't know that for the money you're offering that I want to. Well, what you've said is, the only problem we have here is money. Or, you know, this is an actual example for one place I worked for. I love everything about this opportunity. This was a company called Sage Telecom. I was only there a short time because they got bought out by a a venture capital firm, and I didn't want anything to do with it when that happened. But this was when I I sat down and talked with their whole marketing team. I walked into their company, and remember, one of my businesses had been selling telecommunication services, specifically local phone service. I already knew exactly how to do everything they needed to do. I could have done the job in my sleep. And I said, I'm excited about it. And you have some other technologies coming up. You have a WiMAX, uh, council. I'd love to sit on that. And I know a lot about WiMAX technology. Uh, and you have a VOIP, uh, technology council that I would, I would love to sit on on that, um, be part of that and, and mapping out that roadmap as far as, you know, and I said, this is all the things that I would do if I took this position. And they, they went through 75 resumes for that job. And there was only two they were even consider hiring, me and one other guy. And what I said was, I love the opportunity. I love the fit. I love what I know I can do here. But you guys are geographically undesirable. And their eyes just, what the hell does that mean? Look, you guys are in Allen, and I'm in Arlington. It's an hour and a half drive without traffic. I just don't know that I can put myself through that and, you know, I've got a son, and he's still in high school. He plays basketball. I have games that I go to. Stuff like that. My family's important to me. You know, I just don't know that I can have them waiting every single night to 7, 30, 8 o'clock for me to be home, miss those things. And if there was some way we could figure things out to mitigate that, then I would love this opportunity. And they said, well, what if you could work from home two days a week? And I said, you know what? That's a great idea. We should we should ex- not okay. I'll take it. We should explore that f- further. Because I was thinking more like Tuesday and Thursday in the office. Because we've already talked a bunch, and I already know about what you guys do. And those are your your kind of your two days that you have like meetings of the team where you actually have people in a room together, and that way I don't have to co- teleconference into them. That gives me, you know, my Fridays with my family. When they come home, I'm already there. And they said, "Well, we've never done this before." And I said, "Well, it was your idea, right?" Because now at this point, they're going to do—they're going to fall over themselves to try to comply with my request. So I said, "Well, what if we did this? What if we started out that I work from home Mondays and Fridays?" And, you know, you can have my manager get in touch with me anytime they want during the day. It's like I'm going to be out playing winks, And if that goes well, and you feel like I'm delivering on everything I promise, after 30 days, I can start working from home three days a week. So we'll trial it. And as long as it works, all I need is the commitment that if you can't show me anywhere that this isn't working out for you, that I get to do that. And they said, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if we can do that. And I said to this girl that was the kind of the head of the department, I said, aren't you the chief marketing officer of this company? Do you need anybody's approval to do this? And she said, well, I I don't think so, but I don't, nobody's done this. So, so if I start doing it, is anybody going to do anything about it? She said, well, no. Then I, I think we can do this. Let's do this. And I took the job. And honestly, my plan with that job was I had some other stuff going on, and I was going to, you know... Just basically be, like, coasting that job for a few years and see what I can learn from it. It got bought out by a company called Silver Relief Capital, and I ended up, I had a client named Neil Franklin, and I ended up doing all the things I did with him because I was like, I'm not staying here for this. And they're like, we want you to stay here. They tried to recruit me into their little shark tank, and not the kind you see on TV. Like, just like, let's go let's go buy a company. And let's strip it down and write it to the ground and extract every dollar out of what we can. And then basically throw it away on, on the second tier market of what's left of it. I wasn't about that. But see, that mindset, that's how you get along in the world as an entrepreneur, even though I was an employee back then. It's the same mentality. You have to make that decision. You also have to ask yourself, will your family support you in this effort? Because you need their support. Because your sacrifice will be their sacrifice. And the more you can explain, what you, the more you can answer all the other questions we already talked about, the more buy-in you're going to get. What my wife said to me is, this sucks, but I know you're going to do it, because everything you say you're going to do, you're going to do So it was just a, a faith thing. Like, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it with you, because I know you're not going to be happy unless you're you. And I know once you set a goal, you're going to do it. And I know that what you're telling me about how far out of the end of this tunnel, how long I gotta deal with this shit, is is the truth. And it was. And I'll tell you what, had it not happened, I would have done something else. I would have made her wait. It wouldn't have been right. Next, how badly do you want it compared to what you'll get if you succeed? In other words, like how you define success, like how much are you willing to give for that? Which of those sacrifices are you willing to make and not make? And how do you balance the two? And then the next question is, and I say this toward the end here, but are you kidding yourself? Is this mental masturbation? Are you doing this because you like to dream of being the guy that answers the phone and says you're the president? Or because you idolize people that are successful and you want to be like them, but you you don't really, really want it? Not enough to give up the sacrifice. If that's, a, if that's the case, the reason that's important to figure out is so you can figure out how to do the best for yourself in the area that you are comfortable in the way that you want to be. Because a lot of the things I talked about today, if you're going to stay an employee for as long as you can be one, until somebody makes you be an entrepreneur because your job's eliminated, and that's coming for a lot of people in the next 10 to 15 years. But if you're that person, all of this stuff is usable. All of this stuff will help you go further. I just told you how to do a job interview and get to work from home. I guarantee you it works, but the way you do that is first of all it has to be a job you can do at home. If your job's going to be in a a line, bolting wheels on cars, and I know there's probably not a lot of those anymore because robots do that now, but that type of thing, it's going to be making pizzas, it's going to be carving statues. I you know I don't know if it's going to be you know uh, walking people through as a tour guide. You're not going to do that from home. So can it be done from home? And then you need to learn every single thing about that company and how it benefits them to have you and to have you work from home. And why you're, why you're asking for the terms you're asking for. I was asking for the terms I was asking for because I already knew when they were going. Now, that took going in for multiple interviews to get that information. But most people wouldn't have got that information. They wouldn't even have thought, I knew what I wanted before I walked in the door the first time. The way I got that job is that the gal that I'm talking about that was their CMO, her her name was uh, uh, Jennifer, she worked for a company called Globe Ranger in the RFID industry, and she was one of my clients at the firm that I worked for, and I went down there to do a service call and see what other business I could get out of them, and she left. She took this opportunity to go head this company as their CMO. And my thought was, you you don't leave me. That's not how this works. You go to a new company, I'm coming with you. So I went after that person with the intent of, I'm going to get a new client from my firm. And when I started talking to her, I realized they needed somebody, and when they described who they needed, I, I told her flat out, I'm the only one that I know of that can do the job that you're describing at the level you say you want it done at. And from that point... I knew what I wanted in return to do it, and I wouldn't take anything less. And that made me valuable to him. So even if you don't want to be an entrepreneur, even if it is mental masturbation, learn these skills and use them as an employee or a contractor. Step into the middle, you know, a contractor consultant type thing, where you don't move all the way to, you know, the B quadrant of business owner, but you do move into the self-employment. You do have so much more opportunity there if the, if the terms of the pay is right. And then the last question I have for you: If you've gotten through this exercise and you really kind of feel like I know what I should be doing, I know what I want to do, I kind of know what success looks like, I know the things I need to do to get started, why aren't you doing this already? I have questions. People, are like, well, I know this idea, I'll kill it. Well, why aren't you doing it? And sometimes there's legitimate reasons, and sometimes there's excuses. The legitimate reasons is I need startup capital. Go solve that problem. Start asking yourself the question: How do I raise the startup capital? There's never been an easier time to raise startup capital than 2018. And if the answer is, because I don't want to make the sacrifices, okay, how do I reduce or mitigate the sacrifices? So this is the problem. Most people, when they do have that come-to-Jesus moment, as it's called, and say, you know what, in the, re- in the end, I don't want to take that job, even though it gives me a new opportunity, new things to learn about. I could do it in my sleep. Uh, I'll basically run my own little fiefdom. But, shit, I ain't, I ain't driving, you know, 80 miles a day one way so 160 miles back and forth to take this damn job. Instead, you say, okay, how do I mitigate that sacrifice? I don't want to go into this business because I'm going to have to work 30 hours a week while I'm working 40 in my J-O-B. Okay, well, how many hours am I willing to give it? 20. Great. What can you do with that? Why is it 30 right now? Is there a way you can leverage other people, other services, outtask, outsource? What is it? And again, this is that positive self-dialogue I'm so big on. When you do this, you switch on the most powerful computer known to man, the human brain. I don't even think when we get to quantum computing that it will actually be as powerful as the human brain. Because... The human brain can do something that I don't know that artificial intelligence will never be able to do. AI is is rapidly discerning the learning the capacity to learn, which is amazing. But learning and creating that which has not yet been conceived of are different. Learning is when I see action A, I take action B in response. Or my options to action A when you get advanced AI, or BC or D, and here's the way that I determine which one's the most appropriate. Real intelligence is understanding that A could occur when no one has yet defined what A is. That's the human brain. Every single day you are given the opportunity to do something in a way that's never been done quite like that before. To be innovative, to be different. Can anybody be an entrepreneur? You bet your ass they can. But you'll have to define what that means, what success is for you, what you're willing to give, how hard you're willing to work, and what you need in return to do it for yourself and decide, do I want to play with the guys after work in this little recreational basketball league? Do I want to go be semi-competitive? Do I want to be good enough to never play in the NBA but get a partial scholarship through college or a full scholarship through college? What do I want? Do I want to pursue a career in basketball and go go to college and play in college even though I never want to make the NBA, but get a degree and go into coaching? Is that what I want to do? And that's a metaphor, guys, remember. When it comes to your entrepreneurial path, that's how you have to think. Like, what path do I want to take? How hard do I want to work? How big do my, company, my company going to be? Now I can build this company right here, bigger than it is. I need a couple employees. I want to hassle. And I, and I would make less at first, but long term, I would make more, and I would be able to get to where I walk in in the morning, I sit down in front of the microphone. I touch nothing, and I go, Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Boom, 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 boom. Because you give me an outline, and give me a couple pages to read before I sit down. I can do this. I've, I've, been, I've not been presenting like this for the 10 years I've done TSP. I've been presenting like this for almost 25 years. This is th- This part is not hard for me. Coming up with new ideas. Making sure I'm engaging with you guys. Making sure things are fresh and new. Doing research. Following up on the stuff you guys sell me. Picking the stuff to talk about. Developing the outline every day. Making sure before I put a story on that it's actually a legitimate story. It's not some bullshit. Or finding out it is bullshit and being able to explain to you why it's bullshit. Reaching out to other companies. Getting MSB partnerships. All that stuff. That all adds up to time. And if I got people dedicated to it, I could build a bigger, more financially successful company. And my buddy Brian Black over at ITS Tactical, when he was just getting started, and I was about a year ahead of him, and I'd already gotten a full-time income, and he was just starting to make some money, I told him, your company will be bigger than mine and more successful than mine. He said, really? I said, yeah, because you want it to be. I'm designing what I want the way that I want it on my terms. So I will I will self-limit what's possible, because that way I will always love it and always want to do it. This is how you have to think. If you want to adapt to the modern age and be viable in a period of time over the next, again, 10 to 20 years, when a huge majority of our population, they're going to be seen as no longer necessary for the machine to run. It's an incredible opportunity, and it's a frightening one. I think entrepreneurship is a way forward through it. And again, whether it's making some biltong for your buddies, reloading some ammo for them, uh, doing some kind of spin farming, building a big corporation, doing a podcast, becoming a blogger, whatever you want to do, just do the analysis, and then figure out what your entry point and your sacrifices are, what your path to success looks like, and then ask yourself again, why am I not already doing this? Hey, guys, I hope that helps you. I didn't mention at the uh, beginning of today's show, but if you just thought, like, wow, that was, that was really great. Uh, I'm glad I listened to this show, and I want to make sure it's always here. Uh, one of the ways you can do that is by becoming a member of the MSB. And uh, I kind of feel like the talk I gave you today is worth 50 bucks by itself uh, if you apply it. Because there will be people today that build a business just from this one show. Because they'll go out and figure out the rest on their own. Well, that's how much it is to be a member for a year. All you got to do is go to survivalpodcast.com and click on Members to learn more. You can sign up there. You get a bunch of great discounts and other cool stuff, and I'll leave it at that. The other way to help me out is by going to uh, tspaz.com. That's T-S-P-A-Z.com, where you can look up my item of the day. You can do your online shopping through there. And as long as you go to tspaz.com first, you're going to help me and the Survival Podcast, even for spending money you was already going to spend. Um, the other thing you can do, again, is see all my reviews that I've done of products online, specifically uh, broken out into individual categories. See, if you're looking for something in your home, go check out. And, like, if you're looking for, I don't know, some cookware or something, go check. Because I have investigated this stuff, and I only review the best. And if it's on there, I own it, and I use it. Today, my review for the item of the day is Felco F2 hand pruners. Now, I have this product reviewed today for a couple reasons. Number one, it's February. It's time to get out there and prune all your trees if you haven't done so already. This is time for pruning before we have spring bud break. Especially those fruit trees where you had all that, uh, you know, suckers come off the rootstock. Go prune those damn things before the tree buds out. They're going to rob from your rootstock and take energy that could go to your core plant. Get that shape, you know, knocked out. So this is just the time to be pruning all those perennials, bushes, trees, and vines. Get out there and get it done before spring bud break. Number two, I say I review the best, the Felco F2. Is one of the more expensive hand pruners because it's the best set of hand pruners on the market. If you talk to nurserymen that do this for a living, that that's their entrepreneur thing, what do you use? Felco F2s, period. I mean, 9 out of 10 anyway. So it's the best product for the job. I actually have in the review a couple other options for you, a set of Corona shears that are they are pretty good. They're not as good, but they're pretty good. And uh, I said, if you don't want to drop down to that, just buy generic ones because they're going to suck and you're going to throw them away in a year anyway. I mean, they're really the only ones worth it. And I also have the F2 is like kind of what I call full-size man hand pruners. So some people with smaller hands, some guys have smaller hands like Donald Trump does, you know. Uh, but ladies in particular, they find them a little bit bulky in the hand. So they have another product called the F, the F uh, the F6, and they're just a little smaller. It's the same pattern, it's the same, they're just they're scaled down a little bit. The the disadvantage is since they're a little shorter handles, you have a little less mechanical advantage. But these things are sharp, and even when you have a limb that looks bigger than you handle with them, you kind of get on that limb and bite into it a little bit and kind of give it a little rotation, back and forth and squeeze a little bit more, and you'd be surprised at how well these things work. They're awesome. Uh You know, 48 bucks a pair, I know that seems like a lot of money for something that cuts... Tree limbs, but I've had mine for years, and if they do kind of work you know you sharpen the blade, I have a link to sharpener for them. I have a video that shows you how to clean them and how to take care of them, how to sharpen them in the the show notes today, or not the show notes in the the review today. Um, but you do you wear that blade out, you can buy just a new blade for it without buying a whole new set. I have a link for that too. So again, it's the time of year for it. If you've used cheap pruners in the past, if you go out to your shed right now and you, they kind of squeak, and you go out and you say, I don't really like, this Yes, doesn't really have the efficiency I'm looking for, pick a set of these up, you won't regret it. Um, and, again, the smaller size, the, uh, the F6, those are great for people with smaller hands. And, again, if you uh, shop online at tspass.com, you help support the Survival Podcast and the work we do no matter what you buy. Last thing today is the song of the day. I actually going to tell you, I uh, I called an audible today. Uh, John Adam had a song for me. I may push it forward and do it. It was very kind of heavy metal ish. I wouldn't call it heavy metal. It's heavy metal ish. Da 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 that kind of stuff. Um, and I just wasn't feeling that today. <laughs> it's not my favorite thing to begin with, but I really wasn't feeling that today. I. Man, I'll tell you, I was worn out when I got home Sunday evening from New Hampshire. And it was cold, and it was snowy. My buddy David called it uh, frozen demon dust. That's what he called the snow, uh, being someone that seems to really appreciate being here in Texas. I got home, and it was colder here than it was there. I swear to God, it was. And for two days, it's been gray. And I got a little bit of throat thing going on. Probably got baby crud again for all I know, baby plague. Um Got some issues with my construction project. Got a broken pipe, had to fix that. And it's still cold, it's still gray, it's still nasty. And you know where I want to be? I want to be in the islands right now. I want to be sitting on the sea in white sand with blue water lapping up at my toes I want to be throwing that rod out there and pulling in that pompano and filleting his ass on a cooler top right in front of people that are horrified by that. And then they really freak out when I dip the raw fish in some soy sauce and wasabi and flush it down with some ginger and a handshaking margarita. That's where I want to be. You know what I'm going to be there? I'm going to be there in June. It's February. We're going to go there in our heads today was one of my favorite Jimmy Buffett songs, Tin Cup Chalice. We're going back to the islands, and we're not doing it for any big message. And I actually could make this song work with today's message, and I was going to, but I'm not. Because we're just going to take a journey today in our minds to tropical beaches somewhere. We're going to relax, and we're going to realize that even though we have to charge hard at some times, sometimes we just need to relax and recharge and sometimes we do that by actually going and doing it. And sometimes we just take a journey in our mind. So let's do that together right now. With that, it has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Dinner is... Yeah now the sun goes slide across the water sailboats they go searching for the breeze Salt Air it ain't it can stick right through your skin and make you feel fine.